Now, I recognize that we have our teens and junior high folks uh, in the sanctuary tonight. That's awesome. This is the first Wednesday of the month, and we call it Family Night. So you're going to want to pay attention to a really cool story that you may have heard or may not have heard in our text, Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. And um, if you'd like to, you could stand for the reading. I won't obligate you, but we're going to read this a number of times or reference it as we look to the Word of God tonight. We're going to start with verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, young people, I want you to hear this. This is wild. When the disciples came together to break bread, in other words, when they came together to just eat, they were hungry. It happens even to disciples. Paul preached unto them. They were just coming together to eat, but Paul starts preaching. And he's ready to depart on the morrow, verse 7, and he continued his speech until midnight. So bellies were full, the preaching had commenced, and it had persisted all the way until midnight. Someone say midnight. Verse 8, and there were many lights in the upper chamber, chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window, watch this, I want you to get your thinking caps on. I know we don't have to be too creative now, uh, but, but think of like how Steven Spielberg might put this on the big screen. You've got this room full of upper lights. You've got these disciples. They've had food. There's, there's an apostle preaching. And there is a man sitting in a window, a certain young man named Eutychus, Eutychus. Now, that name is actually a name that, that means fortunate or blessed, or we might interpret it as lucky, but I got to tell you, I wouldn't feel like it if that was my name. Um, so this young man sitting in the window, Eutychus, and being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, everyone say sleep, and fell down from the third loft. It's a bad day, guys. A young man. Hanging out in the window there with the church in the upper chamber, and he falls asleep. And, and I have seen some funny situations when people fell asleep in church. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah, amen, amen. That's good stuff, by the way. Um, but in this case, it was not funny. He fell out the window from the third loft and was taken up dead taken up dead. We're going to look at the gospel according to Luke, <laughs> look at Luke, uh, the 18th division. And I just, I just want to focus on the latter part of verse eight, Luke 18 and eight. This is the last thing that Jesus really has to say as he concludes the parable of the unjust judge. And he says, nevertheless, that's an intense word. Nevertheless, it's almost like saying, you know what? You can almost forget about everything else. Everything I just said aside. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith on the earth? If I could, I just want to minister a life application lesson to us tonight. I feel like the Lord has shown me a, a tremendous parallel between this passage and this very physical story and where we are in time and what the church needs to be aware of. If I could, I'd just like to share a thought. Eutychus and me, Eutychus and me. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence that is here. You are the great I am. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we've not gathered in vain. I know that this moment is ordained, and I pray that you would anoint my lips and that you, Jesus, would use me as your vessel. I pray that you would anoint our ears collectively, our hearts. God, when we leave this place, we, we want to be edified by the word of God. We want to have enlightenment, God, that can only come from you and by divine revelation. And I pray in the name of the Lord that you would increase our faith tonight. We commit this time to you and we give you glory in all things. And the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Somebody say preach. Yeah, that's it. Now that wasn't 
what I'm going to necessarily do. I think we're going to teach tonight, but Paul's third missionary journey is recorded in the book of Acts between Acts 18 and Acts 20. And it's on this journey that he set sail for Ephesus. Now, y'all remember what happened when he got to Ephesus in Acts 19. It's, it's an apostolic favorite. We love it. He comes across certain disciples, certain believers, and there he says to them, he says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I love it. I don't know if there was small talk before that or not, but he just went straight to the heart of the matter. And they said, hey, we got to be honest with you, Paul. We've not heard if there even be any such thing as the Holy Ghost. And he says, well, then how were you baptized? Paul's like, rewind. We got we to gotta get back to the beginning, how this whole thing unfolded. And let's talk about how you were baptized. And the net net is the Holy Ghost was poured out upon those believers. Amen. So Paul, being a missionary, is talking to certain believers. This qualifies you and I in a very real and present way for the mission field, does it not? Because I know in your sphere of life and in your circle, there are certain believers. Amen? Amen. So he departs there from Ephesus. He travels to Macedonia. He comes into Greece. And think about this now. This wasn't Uber. This wasn't a helicopter or, or prop plane. But this is all by foot or maybe by beast. And here is Paul on his missionary journey. And the reason I said let's all say preach is because Paul was about the Great Commission. He was a preacher of the gospel, and that's what his heart beat was. It was to preach the gospel. Jesus charged his disciples in Mark 16, Mark 16, 15 through 18, you all know the scripture, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And Jesus continues, that's not all. I'm not telling you just to preach the gospel, but I want you to understand that there are signs that will follow them that believe. Now think about what he just said. A lot of times we interpret it as following the disciples. But he said, these signs shall follow them that believe the word that you preach unto them. Say it's for me. It's for everybody. Amen. These shines shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. Paul writes in Romans, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. In Romans 15, 20, he tells, of his, uh, tells us of his striving to preach the gospel. In Corinthians 9, 16, Paul confesses, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul is preaching. He's preaching everywhere. He's preaching to everyone. He's preaching to every creature. And here in our text, we find him visiting and ministering to believers in Troas. Now, it's my understanding that this would be the modern-day Troy, which is a city in Turkey. Really, he's preaching all over what is the hotbed of Arab nations today. Okay? Everybody say midnight. Upon the first day of the week, Acts 20... When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Midnight. We've heard a lot in recent weeks about the time that we live in, about the times that were foretold. It's a prophetic time that we occupy. The return of Christ is imminent. It's a day and an hour that the apostles of old longed to see and that they wrote about. The night is far spent. It's midnight, and this is a spiritual midnight. There's going to be a sunrise tomorrow morning, Lord willing, but make no mistake about it, no matter how blue the sky is and how bright the sun gets, it's midnight in the spirit world. The signs of the times are all around us like never before. Carnality and hedonism and every manner of evil, it's midnight. It's midnight. But the Bible says that preaching was still happening at midnight. No matter how long midnight had tarried, there was still a voice. <laughs> that was declaring the wonders of God and his salvation. 
Hallelujah. Brother Jordan said it last week so beautifully. Jesus is coming to steal us away, to take his bride to a place that he has prepared for her. It's midnight. Jesus said in Revelation 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. I know it's been a long time preaching. That's what Acts 20 said. Paul had been long preaching. We've endured long preaching, decades, centuries of preaching this gospel. But here Jesus says, remember how thou hast received and heard and hold fast, hold fast and repent. I know that's where it started, but that's where we're going again. We're going to repent one more time. And he says, if everybody say if. See, it's conditional. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief. If you won't watch. But if you're watching, there's no thievery. It's not going to feel like a big shock and a surprise. But if you're watching, you shall know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, you may not know the day and the time. You may not be able to set your watch, but you can look around and see and behold the signs and, and, and keep looking. But now look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 25 and 6, the parable of the ten virgins. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Come on now. In our text, Paul preached until midnight. This is a, this is a type of what is happening in our world. Midnight is approaching, but the pulpits are still declaring the glory of God. And the pulpit must declare the glory of God. And our testimony in the marketplace must declare the glory of God. And we must be about our father's business. Hallelujah. The scripture said, occupy until I come. Now, 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 I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to make it work in the Greek and it doesn't. It's not what it says. But when I read that and when I think about occupying till Jesus comes, I think about a military occupation. When there's instability in a region, when there's unrest, when there's woe, then the armed forces of another nation will come in and they'll, they'll say, we're here to help. We've got the solution. We've got the answer. We're going to protect the innocent. Occupy, church. We've got a job to do. Your co-worker needs you to occupy in midnight. Amen. Your unsaved loved one needs you to occupy because it's midnight. My God. Church, the message of Jesus Christ and his return is still being preached. And the church has been through the flood. It's been through the fire. It's been through trials. It's been through tribulation. It's seen victory, but we're still preaching. And we're still going to preach until the eastern sky splits and this whole thing wraps up. Hallelujah. We're going to keep on preaching through to midnight. No matter how dark it gets, there's still a message of hope. No matter how elusive daybreak seems, Jesus still saves. He still heals. He still a way maker hallelujah now you and I have got to hold on to truth we've got to stand we've got to be steadfast the psalmist said in Psalm 119 uh, just just a wonderful almost a book within a book Psalm 119 at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments Think about it. Think about it. At midnight, in the darkness of night, I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Come on, where is the sound of the redeemed? Come on, you hear that? You hear that? Amen. Where's the sound of the redeemed? Do you know that, the, the, that Paul wrote into his second letter to Timothy? He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He understood which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. That love his appearing. Church, I, I'm just going to be real. I don't know how else to be. There are moments that I have loved the world. I have broken the great commandment, love not the world, neither the things therein. 
and I've loved this present world and I've loved aspects of this world and I've loved aspects of culture. But, but church, I'm here to tell you, my prayer needs to be God fix my heart because I want to love your appearing. I want to love your appearing. I don't want to be afraid of it. I don't want to say I've got plans or maybe after vacation or I'd sure like the taste of retirement. No, 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 no. I've got to love his appearing. It's the most precious thing to me to think that the savior of the world would return to earth and that he would say to me, well done, now good and faithful servant, that I could behold the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side, that I could see the image of love like I've never beheld it before. My God loving is appearing if you've fallen in love with the world and with planning and with pursuits and with relationships and with milestones pray that God will awaken within you a love for his appearing and do you ever stop to think about it am I the only one I mean he's on a horse right he's got a tattoo maybe it's not but there's something written on his thigh are you guys with me? I mean, what is that like? Is it life size? Is he like 5'10"? Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. When that trumpet sounds, I want to be ready. I want to be in love with his appearing. I want my heart to be quickened. This mortal shall put on immortality. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody all right? Somebody say, Lord, I want to love your appearing. Amen. Say many lights. How about this? Say upper chamber. Let's talk about it for a minute. Paul preaches in Acts 20 to them, and his speech, of course, continues until midnight. And verse 8 says, there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. There's many lights here tonight. There were lights in that chamber. Not only was there a preacher preaching, but there was a body of Christ that was assembled together. Hallelujah. I hear Jesus' declaration to the multitude from the mountainside. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. Isaiah said, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the upper chamber. What do you mean, Brian, this? Don't confuse the physical story with the spiritual parallel. The body of Christ and the church of the living God, we occupy an upper chamber. Hallelujah. Pastor's been talking to us about things above. And we are a people that prophecy declares as above only and not beneath. We are of Jerusalem, which is above free. Hallelujah. The mother of us all. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is the lesson within our text today. Eutychus and me, the church and me, the upper chamber and me. Don't forget that you're still part of an upper room experience church. We're still an upper room church even at midnight. We're intimately acquainted with our roots but there's still many, many lights. There's still many lights. There's many lights within the body. When we walk into this world, we illuminate darkness because we are the light of the world. There are many lights in the earth at midnight, and we've been preaching a long time. It's midnight now, but there's still many lights. Ephesians 2 and 6, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in an upper chamber. Jesus said further in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 John 1 7, you know the scripture, but if ye walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. When I, when I look at the scripture, 
I think about the church and all of the different eras. I think about the stories of old at the turn of the last century when we hear about street preachers having tomatoes thrown at them. Here in America, I think about the great awakening. I, th I think about... I think about the persecution of the church in different phases and in different geographies. But we've, we're long preaching and there's still light. There's still light. We're still above. We're still living in victory. Hallelujah. 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 Midnight is upon us, but the church is still triumphant. Amen. Someone say a window. Say deep sleep. Now, Paul's preached unto them. He's ready to depart. He's continued to midnight. We've said it over and over. There were many lights. They're all gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. I'd encourage us all, those of you that don't know the end of the story, to read Acts 20, the account of what happens, because it's, it's beautiful. But this account that we're focused on right now is the deep sleep. This is the crux of the Eutychus and me lesson. Yes, there are many lights. Yes, we're in the upper chamber. Yes, we're still declaring the word. But make no mistake, it's midnight, and with midnight exists the place where the light and the night come together. There's a place when utter darkness, where utter darkness, and where light, Brother Jordan, where they meet. And I, I, I'm talking in the spirit right now. I'm not, I'm not talking about physical but in that place where light and night are at juxtaposition is where we find ourselves right now. The lights are still burning in the upper chamber. But midnight is right there. It's right there and we feel it. And we hear about it. And some people want to call our attention to it more than we need to give our attention to it. There's a difference between being aware and being immersed. We've seen plenty of churches get so relevant that they're relevant to everything but the gospel. So here we are. And I want to say tonight that the light in the upper chamber and the darkness of midnight are not in harmony. They're not even close. But rather where they meet is a precarious place. It is so precarious in fact that being too close, too familiar, too acquainted and entertaining it too much can extinguish the very light that burns bright in the upper chamber. Mm. Being too casual with that place can rob you of the upper room experience and blessing. It's at that junction of light and night that eyes become heavy and they cannot see and that hearing is no longer a faculty that is sharp and that is sensitive. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 12 and 2 and said, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. That word rebellious in the Hebrew literally means bitter. Has anybody encountered any bitterness in the world? We, 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 even when we're sowing the word of God, we encounter spirits that are bitter, angry at this people, angry at God, angry at, there's a bitterness in the world 
my God. And we hear Jesus say and repeat in the New Testament and specifically in Revelation over and over, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. This is the great tragedy of midnight, that you, that I would be found unresponsive and rendered blind and deaf, our senses assaulted at the juxtaposition of light and night. Having not positioned ourselves within the red hot center of many lights. <laughs> but somehow on the edge of light and night and lulled to sleep by what was never meant to be familiar to us. The temperature and the sound and the vision of spiritual midnight, the darkness that would sift you and I like wheat. And you say, Brian, you got heavy. See it. See it, church. I want you to see Eutychus in that window. He was a young man. There's promise. There's a future. But he's asleep. And he's sleeping in the moment that the word of God is being preached. He's sleeping in the moment where within arm's reach perhaps, but certainly, certainly within his line of sight, there are many lights. I hear Isaiah cry, awake, awake, O Jerusalem, awake, awake. Church, this is spiritual. This is a spiritual moment. We had better physically, of course, be in the world, letting our light shine, engaging, loving, and reaching. But spiritually, we are not of this world. I haven't said a thing new, but I've said a thing true. We are not in or of this world. We are not of this culture. We are not citizens of this country. We are aliens and we are pilgrims and we are strangers and our identity is not worldly. Our patterns are not worldly. Our habits are not worldly. Our traditions are not worldly. Our pastime is not worldly. But we're children of light. It may be coincidence, but the book of Revelation, it addresses the seven churches of Asia. And in each one of the addresses, it starts out by saying, to the church in, and then it will say the city. But out of the seven churches, this is curious, two of the seven do not say to the church in. Two of them says to the church of. And our, our example that we always default to, man, poor church of Laodicea, Laodicea, however we're going to pronounce it tonight, where we, where we talk about their lukewarmness and how it was like vomit to God, that he would spew them out of, they were a church of Laodicea. Not in, but of Friend, God is looking for a people that is still full of light even at midnight, a people that are still an upper chamber people, a people that are long preaching, still reaching, still declaring the word of truth in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. There's nothing about this world that I'm of. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, but my identity and my speech and my priorities and my perspectives and my motives, they are not of. Of Cincinnati, Ohio. Can I just make it plain? I don't talk like Jamar Chase. I don't. I don't talk like him. And you know what else? I don't share the ideologies of Cincinnati public schools. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. And here's a, little, here's a little current affair blurb. I don't vote for legislation that would say that a minor could hide an abortion from her parents. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't get too close to the darkness or you'll fall asleep. There's danger there. We are the church of the living God and we love the truth of his word the power of his might, the deliverance that comes by and through the preaching of his precious gospel. 
Hallelujah. Be careful of that window. Be careful where light and night come together. There's voices there that will put you to sleep. There's temperatures there that will dull your senses. There's culture there that will leave you fallen from the upper chamber and everything that is above. Above. We used to sing in Sunday school, y'all remember? I, I didn't mean to raise my voice tonight, but you know I would. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Y'all remember that one? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful. Be careful. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. This is, this is, this is a lesson for midnight. Be careful. Be full of care in a world that doesn't. Be careful. Somebody say faith. We, we open with Luke 18 and 8 as part of our text. This is, a, again, found at, at the end of a parable, and Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. We're, we're not going to get into the parable of the unjust judge uh, tonight. I, I think that nevertheless transition is a strong enough word to give me confidence to focus on the question that Jesus submitted all by itself. When the Son of Man returns... When the Son of Man returns. Can I, can, I, can I say it like this? When it's midnight, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? At midnight, where, where will faith be found? Where will the Son of Man find faith? I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm always... This started with me a number of years ago. When I see God pose a question, I'll put a little question mark in my, in my, uh, in my margin there. And the very first question in Scripture is rhetorical, and it comes to Adam. After that great transgression, after Adam and Eve have sinned, and Jesus comes like he has into the into the garden at the cool of the day, and he says, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? And, and this, this question that Jesus poses, it's the only question that I could find that is relevant to the end time that Jesus poses. And it's akin to the very first question he ever asked. Where, where is your faith? Will, will I find faith on the earth when I return? And, and, and the question begs of us to ask a question. Where is my faith, Lord? Where have I, where have I put my faith, my God? And, and what have I done with it? Because the truth of the matter is, no matter how panicked you get tomorrow morning, if you lose your keys... It's still a bigger deal to lose your faith. That's right. No, no, no matter how panicked you get when you can't find your wallet and you start thinking about the credit cards you need to cancel and the, and the, and the, and the driver's license that you lost and now I'm going to have to go to the BMV. They're going to have to take a whole new photo. But I'm telling you right now, lose your wallet before you lose your faith. Come on. I, 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 I need somebody to understand that Jesus wants us to know where our faith is when midnight arrives. Hallelujah. I've got to understand an inventory where my faith is. That is to say, I've got to understand an inventory, my persuasion. I don't want to genericize faith. We say it so flippantly. We talk about faith, but faith is a persuasion. Faith is a moral conviction deep down on the inside of me. Faith is my reliance on Christ as my Savior. Hallelujah. Knowing that it was nothing but the blood of Jesus. That, that, that there's only one thing that could wash away my sin, and, and it's nothing less than the blood that was shed at Calvary. Hallelujah. Faith is a constancy in my profession. 
and in my walk and in my example. This is how just men live. They walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. They're living by faith. The old song says in Jesus above, trusting and confiding in his great love. I, I, I love I love the word confiding, having confidence in his great love, having confidence in his ability to keep me, having confidence that he's my provider, having confidence that when he splits that eastern sky, he's taking me to a place that he prepared for me. Hallelujah. Where is my faith? Where is my faith? Paul wrote to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept, someone say kept. I have kept the faith. Eutychus, where is your faith? Where is your faith? What happened, Eutychus? Now, this is a Mythbusters moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where... I probably should fear to tread, but we all got to stay awake, so. Jesus never esteemed little faith. He never esteemed weak faith. And God help us, he certainly never esteemed no faith. And, and I, I, it would be easy for me to just start preaching faith and we get into Hebrews 11 and we can just get into some stuff I love so much, probably my favorite subject. Yes, Jesus taught us that faith is as a grain of mustard seed and, 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 and that as a grain of mustard seed, it's powerful, so powerful in fact that it's a moving mountains level faith, that it's a casting sycamines uh, trees away level of faith. But our understanding of faith, it cannot be hindered by the idea that because a mustard seed is so small that my faith could be small. You may say, well, Ryan, well, why would you say that? I mean, we sang songs, faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. And then you cut, you don't need a whole lot, drop it. Just use what you got. You guys remember, that's a good one. Old two, four, three chords, can't miss. So, you know. But Jesus rebuked his disciples time and again for unbelief and little or wavering faith. And he praised those that believed and esteemed great faith over and over again. Each of the synoptic gospels testify the account of the man that brought his demon possessed, his vexed son to Jesus. And, and he said, I brought him to your disciples first, but they could not heal. They could not cast out the devil. They could not perform the miracle. And Jesus rebukes his disciples with incredibly harsh language. He says, he says to them, you are faithless. He says, he goes beyond that. He says, you're perverse. And then, and then he goes even beyond that. And he says, how long am I going to have to even deal with you? It's intense. This isn't a picture of the Savior that we always present. So, Jesus is displaying this frustration with their faithless condition and they begin to inquire of Jesus and they say, well, we tried. Why, why couldn't we cast out this devil? Why, why couldn't we perform this miracle, Lord? What, what's the deal anyway? We thought we had it. And Jesus has already rebuked them, right? And then he elaborates and he says, this kind of power comes only by what? By prayer, say it with me, and fasting. Amen. Prayer and fasting. Friend, I, I, I have to tell you, I have to remind you, anemic, inadequate faith leaves us ill-equipped to walk in power and in the promise of God. I'm going to say it again. Anemic, inadequate faith leaves us ill-equipped to walk in the power and the promise of God. But with prayer and with fasting, faith flourishes. Hallelujah. With prayer and with fasting, this great gift, this great superpower of the church, if I can say it that way, this great gift of faith flourishes. This is a house of prayer. Jesus declared, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know why he was 
would say that because he understood that it was a key to our faith. And there's going to have to be faith at midnight if we're going to make it. Hallelujah. There's going to have to be faith. The only way that we can call this house a house of faith is if it is first a house of prayer. Jesus called the centurion's faith great faith. Jesus told the Canaanite woman, great is your faith. Jesus said of the worship that was demonstrated by the woman that anointed his feet and with her tears and, and dried them with her hair, he said, thy faith has saved thee. Elsewhere, when healing the blind, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. Did we announce family prayer? Okay, I just make sure we didn't miss any announcements here tonight. Family prayer. You say, I've got plans. That's okay. But pray. 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 Lord, help my faith. Help my unbelief. Lord, put the power of the Holy Ghost in me. Give me discernment that when I walk into circumstance, Lord, that I can speak peace and that I can speak healing. Lord, that I can dispel doubt and that I can cause fear to dissipate because I am filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord. Let me be filled with faith. Let me be filled with faith. So Jesus asked the question in Luke, where is the faith on the earth? Will I find it when I return? And so our text took us to midnight and midnight took us to the end time and the end time raised the question of faith. Amen. Everyone say musicians, you can come. Amen. Now I have a question just cause they're coming. Don't they still give brother Brian some love. Don't pay attention to them. How, how many of you have ever stood in utter darkness, but there was a habitation that was filled with light that was within your view? How many have ever done that? You, you went to a neighborhood that maybe didn't have street lights. It was midnight and, and you got out and there was the gathering. They're in there. They're having pizza and fellowship. And then Paul shows up and starts preaching, you know, and you can see in the window, you can see HD. You can see who's there. You can see what, what, what decor is in the room. You're in the dark, but you can see <laughs> into the chamber where the light is on. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Now, conversely, how many of you have ever stood in a well-lit habitation and it was dark as night outside and you looked out the window and could see nothing? See, this is a picture of what the church is to the world and what the world needs to become to the church. Eutychus got so close to the darkness that he became acclimated to it and he drifted off into a slumber that took his life. But see, when you're on the outside looking in, you can see clearly there's something different about those people. They've got a salvation. They've got a praise. They've got a joy. They've got fruit of the Spirit. And it's a contrast to what's happening in midnight. And so, and so when you're in the light, you're unable to see into the darkness. And there's an idea that we can get caught up in, that we got to be immersed, and I mentioned it, in culture to reach it. And that we have to know the ins and outs and the news and the woe, and we have to acquaint ourselves with the depravity or even worse, that it's okay to entertain that darkness. Friend... I want, to, I want to raise the, the message in your hearing, in your conscience. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Let the darkness behold the light. There's no call for the light to behold the darkness. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22, the light, this is a different Greek word, the light, Matthew 6, and 24, if you have that media team, the light of the body is the eye. What is he saying? The light of the body is the eye. He's saying you're going to be filled with whatever you behold. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, in other words, if your eye is clear, if you're seeing clearly, if you've got 20-20 vision, then your whole body shall be full of light. You're seeing with purity. You're seeing with clarity. But if thine eye be evil, in other words, if it's diseased, 
then the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? That darkness is obscurity. You won't be able to see any of the things that you need to see. So the light of this body is whatever I'm beholding. You say the Middle East is in torment. You say that the world's falling apart. You say there's racial tension. You say there's addiction. You say there's this and that and there's woe. Yes, 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 I am aware. But I am going to focus on the great God of my salvation because there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And if I fill my vision with him, then this body is filled with light and I can see clearly now and I can discern the times and I can walk uprightly before men and they will behold my good works and give glory to the father which is in heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You musicians were really speedy, I'm not done. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians five and five, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Ye are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, Eutychus, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, comfort yourselves, verse 11, together and edify one another, even as also ye do. This is the faith that Jesus is looking for. When he comes back, this is the faith that he's looking for. Who's telling somebody? Who's edifying their brother? Who's lifting somebody up? Who's got a praise on their lips? Who has said, I'm in the world, but hey, don't be mistaken. I'm not of the world. I'm just a stranger. I'm only passing through. This is faith. Paul is describing faith. Where is our faith? Ephesians 5, 11, we're wrapping up. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. Pastor preached this so beautifully just a few weeks ago. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Because it's midnight. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Revelations 14. Here's the patience of the saints. Those that made it to heaven. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and what? And the faith. Somebody say the faith. The faith of Jesus. Again in Revelation 17. For he, Jesus, is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. <laughs> Stand across the assembly. They that are with him are called. They're chosen. They're faithful. They that are with him are in the upper chamber. They that are with him are the, the many lights, the many lights. They're faithful, they're called, and they're chosen. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I was always intrigued by my elders and how they would say, I can't believe thus and such has occurred. Can you believe how disrespectful Bart Simpson is to his parents? I saw an article 10 years ago. It's a Christian publication that said 
The Simpsons show was the last show on primetime that had a family with a husband and wife that were monogamous and kids. It was the last one. Everything else was a steaming and alternate lifestyle, some sort of brokenness or single parent home. And so we're watching, we're watching, it's dusk. We're watching, it's twilight. We're watching darkness encroach. And here we are, it's midnight. (laughs) But look around, there's many lights in this chamber. God has a church that's victorious that's saved, that's sanctified, and that's set apart. And there may be individuals under the sound of my voice that have found themselves at the juxtaposition of light and night. And I'm calling for you. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Amen. Eutychus and me, a life application lesson. I don't know about you, but when Jesus returns, he's going to find faith in the earth. If, he, if I'm still here, he's going to find faith in the earth. I have made up my mind. I'm fully persuaded that there will be faith in the earth. Amen. Musicians, please sing. Let's usher in the presence of the Lord. These altars are open. You have an opportunity to give of your tithe and free will offering tonight. But I would ask you to, if you don't know what prayer to pray, just come forward and say, Lord, help me to love your appearing. Help me to love your appearing, God. Strengthen my faith, Lord. Help my unbelief. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be one of the many lights, God. In Jesus' name.